มูตสามกวัตถะอรหัตถะสัมมาสัมพุทธะสานุมูตสามกวัตถะอรหัตถะสัมมาสัมพุทธะสานุมูตสามกวัตถะอรหัตถะสัมมาสัมพุทธะสาพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามสังHere we are, the beginning of a new month, and <clears throat> that means that tonight's Dhamma talk is on the calendar verse or comment that uh, this year, as you know, we've been running through the ten parami or virtues or forces for transformation, and this week, this month is uh, Satya parami or truthfulness. So perhaps it's a bit early in the month. Maybe you haven't turned your pages yet. So maybe you haven't read what Ajahn Sumato says on there. But I read it this morning or this afternoon, and and uh, I think his most wonderful, uh, helpful comment about uh, such a parami or truthfulness. He says the uh, such a parami or truthfulness is perfected by a determined willingness to see things as they are. In terms of dhamma, and not to believe in or be intimidated by your views, opinions, and feelings. Now that's really, really helpful, I find. Uh, could, uh, of course, he could have said, you know, truthfulness is about always saying what's true, uh, which is that's not wrong, uh, but the determined willingness. To see things as they really are, in terms of dhamma, and not believe in or be intimidated by your views, opinions, or feelings. Being intimidated by uh, views, opinions, and feelings—that's that's the content of the mind. That's the content of experience, and. Our refuge, our orientation, or a wise direction of effort and practice is to, as I've been saying recently, to move towards finding our identity, finding our confidence, finding our ability in being the context of experience. But because we lose. Our perspective, and we get caught up in all the content. We get caught up in all the, the views, opinions, and feelings. And no matter how strong the feelings might be, if we get caught up in them, well, then we're vulnerable. We're lost. You know? We can be feel so utterly convinced by some feeling that we've been conditioned to feel, or some opinion we've been conditioned to have. And so, if we don't have a a refuge in awareness, that is. Whole body mind here and now, truth discerning awareness, judgment free awareness, reliable awareness. We don't have a a well established uh, reference point in awareness itself. Well, then inevitably we are going to get caught up in the views, opinions, and feelings, and and so to be reminded that this, the cultivation of such a parami or truthfulness is a resolute willingness or determined willingness to see it. Not to try and be otherwise, and that's that's not even truthful. Yeah. 
but to see that all oh, right, that's getting caught up. That's getting caught up, and that's enough. You know, that's there's a, there's a, a wonderful feeling can come from being simply being honest. Okay, and I would say that this is really the essence of of all spiritual life. You know, truthfulness is the essence of all spiritual life. Even if even if we weren't to do any meditation, go on any retreats or eat any special diets, or do any special exercises, if all we did was spend our whole life cultivating truthfulness, I think that would be enough. And if we take it very seriously, if we really mindful truthfulness, not, there's an idealistic truthfulness, you know, we can grasp at truthfulness and, and uh, say, I've got to be truthful, and the Buddha determined a whole life for cultivating such a parami, truthfulness and so we try very hard to become truthful but that's not necessarily truthful we've got to get more subtle we need to bring mindfulness to bear and so if there's mindful commitment determination to truthfulness well then instead of our having an idealistic notion of being truthful around things out there like you know, telling everybody about all our feelings you know Somebody, you know, some colleague at work asks you, good morning, how are you today? And you say, well, I've got to be truthful, so here goes. Well, I was feeling great until I saw you, and now I actually feel like my day's been ruined. You know, that's the truthful perspective on things. And Sorry if that's upset you, but that's just the truth. You know, is that really true? Yeah, that's, that might be sort of true, but that's not mindful whole body, mind, here and now, judgment-free awareness, truth. If we've got a whole body, mind, here and now, judgment-free awareness practice established, then our truthfulness is going to be much more subtle than that. It's going to be much better informed. If we're truthful, somebody asks, how are you today? We're truthful. We can actually, well, yeah, just say, thank you for asking. Good enough, thank you. Yeah. Bearing up. Oh, yeah. That's if you really, really detest them. You know, this is an abusive boss. I mean, if you're actually well, you can say, "Well, you know," you can think, "Well, actually, I could be a lot worse." So you say, "Well, I'm well enough, thank you, thank you very much," and be very positive. If we're truthful, if we're really truthful in a situation like that, we go in there, we we listen, we listen inwardly, and and our truthfulness tells us that actually, in all honesty, I don't want to hurt this person. Now, that's a much more subtle level of truthfulness. I don't want to hurt anybody. Because the impulse to hurt, if we're really in touch with it, is painful. You know, although on a superficial level we might get off on the impulse to hurt. If we're still scraping the surface of awareness, we might think that actually it's fun to want to hurt people, get angry. But if we get a little bit more subtle, you start to realize the impulse to hurt somebody isn't itself hurtful. And in all honesty, in all truthfulness, I wouldn't want to grasp it. Boredom. Yeah. Yeah, we, we get feeling them feeling of boredom. It's a pretty normal feeling. Everybody has this. Well, we could go and, and uh, try and get real with our boredom. So getting real with our boredom means meditating. We've got to go and meditate a lot and overcome boredom. I've got to conquer, conquer boredom. We've got to get interested in Dhamma. Ajahn Samadis is a, a determined willingness to see things as they are in terms of Dhamma. And so we've got to go and practice the Dhamma. 
And so you can get a Dhamma book down and read what the Dhamma says about how to deal with boredom and wind up your faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha and overcome your boredom. Well, you can do that, but that's, a, I would suggest, a fairly initial uh, approach to being honest, being truthful about boredom. A more subtle level would be just to stop going out there with our ideals about how imagining, creating stories, you know, views, opinions and feelings, in other words, creating stories about how we should be, which is not bored, if we were a together meditator, to let go of that going out and creating false stories and movies and turn the light of awareness inwards and just say, well, in all honesty, in all truthfulness, how do I feel about being bored? So we've got to stop fighting it. If we're going to accept boredom, we've got to stop fighting it. We can't investigate the reality, the Dhamma, the truth of boredom. What is the truth of boredom? Now, that's a good question. What is the truth of boredom? Very interesting question. So it's a different orientation. It's much more subtle. But this is where our, our interest in developing truthfulness is associated with, with mindfulness, with awareness. It's not an idealistic uh, uh, gesture, trying to become truthful or trying to become something that we're not at all, but a different approach, you know, looking inwards. What, what, is the, what is the Dhamma of boredom? What is the reality of boredom? And... Quite miraculously, you might find that when you stop fighting boredom, when you stop trying to become not bored, you just admit and just say, I'm bored. I am so bored. You just couldn't believe how bored I am. I am just so incredibly bored. And then you start, wow, this is wonderful. I'm so happy to realize that I'm bored. Yeah. That's, the, that's the benefit of truthfulness. Just being, being, seeing things as they really are in terms of Dhamma. Before we thought truth, we thought that boredom was an enemy. It was a, a symptom of what a, what a failure we were. We thought boredom was an obstruction to Dhamma. Here we have this idealistic notion, all the things we learn about Dhamma. <clears throat> you can't learn Dhamma. We can maybe, if we make the right effort to be honest, to be truthful, we might recognize Dhamma, but we can't learn Dhamma. Dhamma is what is. Yeah. We can learn about Dhamma. We can learn about boredom, but to really study boredom, to be really truthful about boredom, feels great. You stop being bored. This is wonderful. Interest energy gets quickened. Anticipation. Yeah. Isn't it the case that we spend so much of our life anticipating suffering? How much of our life is really suffering and how much of it is anticipating suffering? Now, if we have an interest in, a commitment, a, a, a resolute willingness to see content as content, to see the reality of this experience as it is, then when anticipation arises, we don't have to try and cover it up with something that makes us feel good. I can remember the first time I saw anticipation as anticipation. I was, uh, I'd been invited to teach a weekend retreat in Totnes. And uh, this was many years ago now. And I, um, I was a very young monk and 
I don't know if you know Totnes. It's sort of a, a pretty groovy scene, Totnes. It's the kind of England's Woodstock. And uh, I was supposed to be teaching this weekend retreat there, and, you know, young monk, pretty whipped behind the ears, and think, oh, well, I suppose I can do it. I'll just go and do my best. And it was a local Buddhist group, and, and, and I knew them, and so I wasn't too worried about it, although I was pretty new at teaching retreats. But when I arrived there on the Friday, one of the first things they told me said, oh, we've arranged a public talk for you tonight in the local hall. I said, all right, okay, <laughs> thank you. And uh, so I wasn't ready for that, and uh, I hadn't factored that in. I didn't you know, have a story going for that, how I was going to handle that. So they showed me to my room, very nice, comfortable room, and I sat there, I, re- I was getting really uncomfortable. I was really uncomfortable. I said, what is it? What's going on here? You know, lovely totness, there's going to be lovely people here, and there's not to be a problem, and there's something going on. But just listening inwards on that occasion, just feeling inwards, inhibiting the tendency to go out and create a new story, a better story than the awful, dreadful one you've got going, which is not really truthful. It's not really honest. You know, just replacing one dumb story with another dumb story. But just to stop and just say, well, what, what sort of story am I telling myself here? Which view, opinion, which content am I caught up in here? And wonderfully, on that occasion, I realized it just came, it just came up. That's it. Anticipation. That's what's happening. Anticipation. Oh, what a relief. What a wonderful thing anticipation is. You know, suddenly, anticipation becomes wonderful because we've seen it in, in reality. Just, anticipation is like this. Anticipation is just this much. Yeah. Anticipating something terrible happening. I mean, you've got a meeting coming up or an appointment or you've got to talk to a colleague or a partner or so you've got to say something difficult to somebody. How much of the suffering is to do with the reality of the relationship and how much of it is to do with the anticipation? No. Until we get a handle on this, you know, we're caught up in the stories, you know. And we're, we're, of course, we're professional storytellers, all of us. Yeah. The Buddha himself, don't you know? Don't feel bad about it. Don't feel guilty. The Buddha was a professional storyteller as well, until he saw it. He called his storyteller a house builder. He said, "House builder, I have seen you. No more houses will you build. Your ridge pole is broken. The story's over. Finished." Well, he didn't quite use those words, but something like that. And he saw it. And said, "Right, okay." And so that's our effort also. If we've got a commitment to truthfulness, you know, to seeing things as they really are instead of believing in the stories, then, then the effort is to turn the light of attention inwards and to feel for so some indication of you know, what, you know, where's this coming from? Where's this emanating from? It's in the whole body. It's not just, in the, not just a little part of our mind, which is also very important. You know, this is a whole body mind here and now, judgment free awareness we're working with. If we haven't got this whole body mind, judgment free awareness established, well, then a lot of our effort and practice, as you heard me say just once or twice, is likely to uh, not give us the results that we're looking for. However, if we have worked on this here and now, whole body mind, listening to the whole body mind, what does the whole body mind feel about this? 
Here and now. No judgment. Maybe you've got something positive you want to say to somebody. Like in relationships as well. A commitment to truthfulness is very important. Maybe you want to say something wonderful, something lovely. You want to tell somebody you love them. But our commitment to truthfulness means that we, we feel for not just what our preference tells us, but for is this the right time? Is this, you know, is this really the right time and the right place to say this? You know? So our commitment to truthfulness is not just about you know, dealing with negative things in our life, but also positive things and dealing with pleasure and joy and beauty, how to, how to really be mindful. How to have a conscious, unobstructed relationship with life is what the commitment to truthfulness is about. So if we can hear that and recognize the value in it, then what do we do about it? Well, from one perspective, we can say, well, I just have to be more truthful in every situation. And that's true. That's right. You know, we can get enthusiastic about it. We can get interested in it. However, there's also, I think, some benefit in, in, in recognizing that in our formal practice, there's a direct link between the way we deal with attention in formal meditation and the tendency to get pulled out into the stories. And it's to do with uh, the willingness to begin again, the willingness to come back. We have our meditation object. Hopefully, we haven't just we haven't just jumped into meditation with our habitual tendencies to want to manipulate conditions and make them be how we want them to be. But rather, we've, in all truthfulness, sat here, feeling the posture, feeling how we feel in the moment. What does it mean to be truthful with this moment right now? We establish ourselves with a sense of presence, with a sense of awareness here and now. And then when the time is right, we engage the meditation object, whether it's the meditation on the breath, the sound of silence, or asking our own precious question of inquiry, cultivation, love and kindness, whatever our meditation object is. And then what happens when the mind wanders? As it will happen. It's inevitable. The mind will tend to go off after memories or fantasies and the effort it takes to not follow the distraction, to come back, to begin again, if we make that, as if that's a mindful willingness, a determined mindful willingness to come back, to begin again, and we do it over and over and over again, no judgment. It doesn't matter how many times the mind wanders. Remember, it's like a little child teaching a child to walk. You know, when the child starts to walk and falls over, you don't scream at the child and whack it. You know? Not if you're a decent human being. You know? If you're kind of seriously distorted, damaged, sick human being, you might start whacking the child. So <laughs> why do we whack ourselves in meditation when the mind wanders a little bit? You know, we're, we're beginners. We're all beginners. I'm not speaking personally. I'm a beginner at this. We've got to remember what it's like to be a kindly, caring uh, support for ourselves in our meditation. So when the mind wanders and goes off, and we remember, 
Bring it back and begin again with willingness, with a gentle willingness to begin again. And every time we do that, every time we inhibit the tendency to go off and follow the fantasies, every time we do that, we generate potential, potential for presence. And so one day we find that we're in a situation where, you know, maybe you're in a supermarket and, and uh, somebody just bangs their trolley full of stuff into you or runs over your foot or or you're standing on the checkout line and, and there's somebody in front of you there arguing with a poor, frustrated uh, checkout person. And somebody's having a very bad day and, and they're taking it out on the person the, at the till there and, and you're standing there and you've got an appointment and you're feeling very, very tempted to get angry or to really tell this person, you know, where to get off. And so there's this impulse. Instead of believing in the story which is this person's irritating me, that the truth is this person cannot irritate us. The truth is nobody can irritate us. The truth is nobody can take our freedom away from us. That's the truth. That's the reality. But we give our freedom away to others. We give our peacefulness away to others. That's the truth. So our commitment to not following the stories means that when we're tempted to follow this impulse to go out and blame there's this impulse to actually go in the opposite direction. We've got the strength. We've got the strength to just bear with it. Might feel a little restless. You've got all this energy building up. Maybe even start sweating. That old habit to want to go out and follow the stories. And this person's responsible for my unhappiness right now. It's inhibited. Where did the strength for that inhibition come from? It came from those endlessly boring, tedious hours of meditation where you refuse to believe in the stories, where you refuse to go and entertain yourself, where you refuse to distract yourself, where you refuse to follow the addiction to distraction that we all suffer from. We've cultivated our addiction to distraction for lifetimes. Not because we're bad people, by the way, in case anybody's starting to feel guilty. That's just another distraction. Getting off and feeling guilty, that's an easy distraction. It's just because we didn't have the wisdom teachings, We didn't come across wisdom teachings. So now we have come across wisdom teachings. Thankfully, the Buddha pointed out that actually the essential nature of the heart, the essential nature of consciousness is already peaceful. If we could be the context of experience, then it doesn't matter what experience passes through consciousness. It doesn't matter what wave passes across the ocean. If we could remember to be the ocean then it doesn't matter the size or the shape or the activity of the wave that passes across the ocean. Irritation is just irritation. And that's why the Buddha was able to say, in the hearing there is just hearing, in the seeing there is just seeing, in the tasting there is just tasting, in the touching there is just touching, in the cognizing there is just cognizing, in the smelling there is just smelling. No stories. The Buddha stopped telling stories to himself. Didn't have to. got worn out. He got bored with them. And then he didn't believe in the boredom. He stayed with it. Didn't go and distract himself with another DVD or... I'm sure there were other possible distractions around 2,500 years ago. Didn't follow his addiction to distraction, but with this resolute, with the determined willingness that Ajahn Sumedha was talking about to see things as they are. To see things as they are in terms of Dhamma. So it's not a willful determination... It's not an idealistic determination. It's a willing, interested determination 
to bear with the situation. Whatever it is, whether it's outwardly in terms of relationship or whether it's inwardly in terms of dealing with anxiety or anticipation, whether it's in daily activity or whether it's in formal practice, if we can, I would suggest contemplating the parami, the, the force of transformation, uh, the virtue of truthfulness, uh, can be a very effective encouragement for generating energy and leading us to what we're really looking for, which is the ability or the experience or the recognition of letting go. want to let go of boredom, want to let go of anticipation, want to let go of anger, want to let go of desire. But if we just grasp it as an ideal, I shouldn't be feeling bored. That's going out. The truthful relationship to boredom is this is what it feels like right now. In all honesty, I feel completely fed up with what's happening, like nothing. There's nothing interesting happening. I feel completely fed up. And then we can take it another level. So, what is the truth of feeling fed up? What is the truth of this? What does the truth of this tell me? And we feel, it goes into like, again, as Ajahn Chah used to say, our, our investigation starts off with being like a dialogue. We use a coarse kind of inner dialogue, saying it's like this, it's like that. But then our investigation becomes more subtle until it becomes silent. It becomes what he called a feeling investigation, a silent feeling investigation. And so we go beyond the coarse reactivity to boredom to the wonderful real recognition of this is what's really going on, is this boredom's going on, and we don't fight it anymore. And to a silent investigation, so the reality of boredom is bad. You see, it's, a, it's the fire of desire. We're getting burnt by the fire of desire. We're wanting. And that's a very truthful question we can ask for ourselves. Yeah. We're in some struggle. Something's going on. just can't make sense of it. Don't know whether we're coming or going. Or you know, How do you deal with this? And We've got our commitment to truthfulness. And so we'll just ask a straight question. What do you want? Yeah. My first year as a monk, when I was living with Ajahn Tate, and, and I had some wonderful experiences, and there was a huge privilege and benefit living with Ajahn Tate, but I also had some seriously not wonderful experiences. Uh, it was the uh, time when Laos was falling to the communists, and the Russians were going up and down the river on their speedboats, and there were, there were bullets going over the monastery at night time, and, and I was struggling with the diet, and, and there was this wild animals everywhere, my cootie getting invaded by stinging ants in the middle of the night and, and I couldn't speak the language and, and I was not having a fun time. And, but I was very committed to practice and uh, there wasn't much you could get distracted by even if you wanted to. Occasionally we might get a little cocoa in the evening, you know, that was a, a kind of the ultimate distraction was cocoa and sugar. We could get sugar as well. Kind of, that was a serious outrageous distraction, but other than that wasn't much happening. You know, we couldn't even bathe in the Mekong River anymore because you could get shot. So that you couldn't even have that distraction. Initially, when the rains retreat began, we used to go down to the river and bathe in the Mekong. That was, I always looked forward to that, but 
once the Russians started doing their thing, we couldn't do that anymore either. So, so there was just this intense tediousness of the hot day, sitting, walking, sitting, walking, sitting, walking, and sometimes it just got to the point of being utterly intolerable. And I, I just remember what the Buddha said that that uh, desire is the cause of suffering. You know, Buddhism 101. You know, four noble truths. Everybody knows that. There is suffering, and there's a cause of suffering, and it's desire. So, okay, well, you know, what do you want? You know, just asking that question was such a relief. I could, be, I could honestly say, I want to get out of here. Yeah. Or I want, I used to fantasize about going to Bangkok to get some nice clothes, you know, because when, <laughs> when I was in Bangkok, when I was passing through Bangkok as a layperson, I saw these, these shops who get really nice clothes made very cheaply. And I, you know, I, I, I wasn't really ready to become a monk. I kind of was a bit quick off the mark there. But anyway, there I was in this boring saffron bedsheet, and um, you know, and I was, I just want to go to Bangkok and, you know, get some nice clothes made <laughs> and some nice food. That's the truth. But you know, the interesting thing was, as soon as I was honest about it, Our addiction to distraction is just one big lie that we're telling ourselves. Mm-hmm. So Ajahn Sumaita is absolutely spot on. It's a wonderful reminder and I recommend for the rest of you this month that perhaps maybe every day you might want to just look at the calendar month and read it and say the perfection of truthfulness is the determined willingness to see things as they are in terms of Dhamma, to not believe in or be intimidated by your views, opinions and feelings. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. <clears throat>